Good morning, church. Okay, yeah, I heard a few of you out there. It's good to be with you guys this morning. It's an honor and privilege to be able to, to lead you guys in the study of, of His Word and, and to bring that forth. Um, but before we get started, I do want to actually take a moment and just pray for, for this church, uh, Wave Community, which is you know one of our, our daughter churches, so to speak. But um, we love those men and we, we, we honor them and their decisions that they're making, so we just want to bless them. Uh, before we get started this morning. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Wave Community Church. I thank you for Alex, and I thank you for Justin. Uh, I thank you that they've brought light into a very dark area of, of Henry County, um, and that people have responded to your truth and known Jesus Christ for the first time in their lives. And we pray that that ministry would continue through Justin, um, that you would bless him, anoint him, and just... Uh, Allow him to continue to speak the truth in love um, to those in, in the Deschler area. And we just pray for Alex and Darla as they transition on um, into a, a new fold of their lives. And I pray that it would be a blessing for everybody. Um, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing our series on the church on display, what the church should look like outside of this building. And we started right away with talking about love and how love should be kind of the foundation of being the church on display. And everything else comes out of loving one another. And so we, we continued with being patient with one another, one another, bearing with one another, serving one another, speaking the truth and love to one another, encouraging one another. And then last week, Pastor Kevin shared with us that we should be kind to one another. Well, all of this is supposed to come out of that union in Christ, Christ in us. And it's beautiful to see God working in and through us to create these things in us so that we can pass them on and to display his love to everybody around us. And today we're going to continue with the next one, which personally, you know, over the course of eight weeks, just kind of prepping for this, man, I, I don't think I could do this without the union of Jesus Christ in my own heart. And that is forgiving one another. I find maybe one of the hardest things to do in, out of all of these one another's. And it was, it was kind of a part of what Pastor Kevin was talking about last week because we saw the second half of Ephesians 4, verse 32, as being that forgiving one another. So if you don't mind, please go with me to Ephesians 4, 32, and we'll go through that verse together again. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And that, again, was what Pastor Kevin preached on last week. And then it continues, forgiving each other. And then the, a little tag, just as in Christ, that's that union speech again, God forgave us. And we read that and we think of what Christ has done and we're like, yes, yes, we should forgive. In fact, I wrote down, we must forgive. We are a forgiven people. We should be a forgiving people. In fact, out of all the people on planet Earth, Christians should be the most forgiving people. Can I have an amen if you agree with that? Okay, a few of you do. Good. Enough. I can move on. Yeah, we should be a forgiving people. 
But oftentimes it serves kind of as a platitude at first. We all are in agreement, yes, we should 100% be a forgiving people. But then we have an expectation of one of our brothers or sisters, and they don't meet that expectation. They wrong us in some way, shape, or form. They slight us. They say something nasty on Facebook that they didn't even know was against you, but it is or was. And so they've hurt you. They've taken something from you. And so now we have to take this this platitude, this thing that we all agree, and try to respond out of our DNA. And that's exactly what the first church was dealing with. You know, when they first got together, it was almost a honeymoon phase. Everything was going great. Everything was perfect, right? They had everything in common. And then the sins started coming in. And they started sinning against one another because that's what we do. We're sinful people. And so they have to take what was kind of a platitude and now apply it to their Christian walk so that they can live as they are supposed to live in Christ. And we see this play out in a story in Scripture between the two men, Philemon and Onesimus, both early church men. Philemon, who was Philemon? Well, Philemon was a wealthy man in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a really wealthy city. So he's doing very well for himself. He became a believer, was a strong believer, became a leader in the church, hosted the church of Ephesus in his house. This is a strong man in Jesus Christ. And then we have Onesimus, whose name means useful. Onesimus owes Philemon something. We don't know what. Scripture doesn't tell us what it is that he owes. But we know he owes something for some reason and, and has since become a bondservant of some kind of Philemon. Now, the, the word in Greek there is this word called doulos, which is very hard to translate because it means very generally a relationship where one person owes something to somebody else. Owes something to somebody else. And so it could be a slave relationship, right? Or it could be a hired servant of some sort. Most likely, it's somewhere in between for most of the causes. So a lot of times, they just translate it slave because we don't have a good word to represent that. So we don't know exactly the relationship, but we know that Onesimus owes Philemon. But it becomes more than that because Onesimus instead of paying back what's owed, shirks his responsibility and runs away from Philemon. He runs away, failing to pay the debt that he owes. By God's providence, Onesimus somehow finds Paul. He finds Paul and becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. But somewhere in the course of their conversation and talking about his past, he has to bring up the fact that he ran away from Philemon, who, by the way, Paul knows. And well, we can't have that. we got to come to some sort of reconciliation here. And so 
somehow they agree that Onesimus should return back to Philemon, the man who he's stolen from, who he owes. And so we're, we're left with the question, what is Philemon going to do? How is he going to respond? Is forgiveness going to be a platitude or is this going to come out in his union with Jesus Christ? I can think of lots of different ways that Philemon would react, right? If he's anything like me, his first instinct is vengeance. I will get back at them. I will at least get what I deserve. And probably a little bit more on top of that, right? You cut me off in traffic. Well, I'm going to sit at the next, next stoplight even longer to make you pay for that, right? We have this vengeance in our flesh, but we know that that is not our union in Christ. That's obvious. We know that. So he, he can't respond that way and be in the love of God. Maybe he's going to pretend that all is good because we do that, don't we, when someone has slighted us? Oh yeah, we're good. We're fine. We try to act tough like nothing hurt us. Some of us men are really good at compartmentalizing, right? So it feels like we can get away with this for a little bit. I'll just pretend that everything is good, but we know not everything is good. That pain is there, even if it just gets buried deep inside. And so it comes out in passive aggressiveness or slander behind the person's back. Maybe we go to Twitter or Facebook and respond how we really feel about someone in general. Or maybe we try to forget, right? Wishful thinking. Maybe I'll just forget that he wronged me or she wronged me. But then they come and they sit down next to us at church. And all those emotions come right back in. And we remember everything that they said that was hurtful. Or at least we know that it was hurtful. And so that doesn't work. Lately, I've noticed that we try to justify when people slide us, right? Oh, well, once, miss, I know that you don't have the same kind of life that I do, right? Because I'm wealthy. I was probably born into a wealthy family. You obviously weren't, and so I understand why you would want to run away and not have to pay this back. It was going to take you a long time, and you got lots to live for. Or maybe now, yeah, I, maybe they were just having a hard day, right? Maybe they, they just didn't mean what they said. They were just acting out for another relationship. So we just try to justify what they did. But the reality is the pain is still there. And so how do we deal with the pain? The last one I hear is time, right? Time. If I just give it enough time, I'll heal from this wound that they have given me. But we know that time without the Spirit doesn't do that. <laughs> time without the Spirit, it just builds in this root of bitterness. And that bitterness grows and it starts to take over our personality so much so that we start acting out against other people all because we've been wronged by someone else and we've held on to that, knowingly or unknowingly. It's exactly what Pastor Kevin preached on last Sunday when he said we have to get rid of those roots of bitterness and anger and wrath. We can't let those sit there. So no, time in and of itself isn't good enough. It's the same thing with the body, Right? If I have a cut on my hand, time doesn't heal that. My body heals that by the way God created it to. It just needs time to do it. 
What we know from all five of these is that they all end in bitterness and resentment. And the bitterness grows and the resentment grows. When I started thinking about that, I started to think of Nelson Mandela, who was a a man in in South Africa during the time of apartheid, and he was wrongfully prisoned for 27 years because he had a different political idea. He believed that all men were created equal. And so when he came out of prison, some people were shocked at, at how at peace he was. And they're like, how can you not be full of resentment towards the people who stuck you in this tiny little cage for 27 years? And this is what he said. Nelson Mandela wrote, Resentment is like a glass of poison that a man drinks. Then he sits down and waits for his enemy to die. And that's exactly what happens when we deal with slights against us, when people owe us something, when we deal with it in the wrong way. And we know that the church cannot be the church. We cannot practice the one another's in our union in Christ if we have this deep-seated bitterness in our hearts from unforgiveness. We can't show love. We even struggle to pray for one another. Because of this bitterness and resentment in our hearts. And yet we know we are all still sinful. We're sinful. So we know those slights are going to happen. We know we're going to wound each other. We know we're going to do things that we're going to regret and we're going to hurt somebody else. And we know, therefore, that we're going to be hurt also. I think marriage is a great example. The person that we love the most in our life, right? Outside of Jesus Christ is our spouse. And we know our spouse hurts us. And so if our spouse is going to hurt us, we know that people who aren't that joined together are going to hurt us too. And we see it in siblings. right? I don't think a day has gone by since I had my second child that they haven't fought. And, and, and so we know that they're going to, there's going to be hurts. There's going to be wounds. How are we going to deal with this? And that's exactly what Paul is going to write to Philemon about. Because he has a choice as to how he's going to respond to onesomeness. Are we going to act out of vengeance? Or are we going to work to forgive him? And so if you go with me to Philemon, we're just kind of going to go through this passage. And I'm not going to read the the whole thing, but but most of it. But if we look at verses 4 through 7, you know, I'm just going to kind of generalize this. Paul is basically saying, Philemon... It is obvious that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. I see the love that you have for all the brothers and sisters in Christ. I know of your faith in Jesus Christ. Clearly there is fruit in your life that establishes you as someone who has a union with Jesus Christ. And so in verse 8, he begins by writing, Therefore. Because it's out of this union in Christ that he's writing him. And this is what he says. He says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, But now he has become useful 
both to you and to me. And so right off the bat, Paul is saying, look, I could just order you. Dude, you got to forgive him. It's the right thing to do. Do it. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I compel you to forgive him based on the love that can only come through a union in Jesus Christ. It is out of your love that you need to forgive this man. I know he stole from you. He knows the story. He knows what happened. But let that love compel him. It reminds me of the Ephesians 4 passage again. Our God is a forgiving God. And if we have the love of God in us, if we have the love of Christ in us, then we can love others even when they have wronged us. And so our union, it is out of our union. But he also feels like he has to remind Philemon of this. Because we also need to be reminded of this. Because we are at war in our own hearts. Because our hearts have that vengeance in it where it wants to take back what was given to us and probably more. And yet our hearts also have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in it too. And so we have both of these waging war against one another. And so Paul feels like he needs to tell Philemon, you got to, you got to forgive out of the union in Christ. You need to be compelled by that love and not compelled by the flesh, which is going to lead you down one of those wrong roads. And so he reminds him of doing that. It's out of that love that you need to forgive. Well, if you're anything like me, I need a little bit more. Okay, tell me how. Tell me what's going to happen. What is this going to look like? And that's exactly what Paul does. It's really kind of cool what he talks about. He gives two things. Paul gives two things in the the verses to come. And what it's going to look like. And it's not even that Philemon is going to do it himself. He says, this is what the Spirit is going to ask you to do. This is what the Spirit is going to lead you to if you're going to forgive him through the love of Christ. And so it says, when forgiving someone who owes you, God will lead you through two actions. One, welcoming the debtor. Welcoming the debtor. And two, canceling the debt. The Spirit is going to lead you through those two things, welcoming the debtor and canceling the debt. And so forgiving includes welcoming the debtor. Let's look at Philemon 12 through 17 here. Paul writes, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, as a doulos, but better than one, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, which of course he does, welcome him as you would welcome me. And so we look at this word welcome, and there's nothing fancy about this this word welcome. It kind of means what you would think it would mean. It means taking somebody who is either before you or behind you and bringing them to your side. 
so that you're not better than them, you're not worse than them. You are co's working together for the mission of Jesus Christ. You are welcoming them. And that makes a lot of sense because the greatest enemy of forgiving someone is self-righteousness. Thinking that you're better than this person now for some reason. Well, they sinned against me. They did that. I would never do that. You probably would. (laughs) But we begin to think that somehow, because of their wrong, you are in the right place. And so we don't forgive. We keep them behind us. We keep them behind us. And I start to get this, this sense of Joseph as I read this passage. Because we remember Joseph, right? Joseph sold into slavery by his own brothers. And this was supposed to be better than what they were originally going to do, do which was just leave him out to die. And he sends Joseph on this course of disappointment, of slavery, of accusation after accusation of things he never did. And yet somehow Joseph ended up into the second highest position in all of Egypt. And then there was a drought. And his brothers, living all the way in Judea, were out of food. And they were probably going to die if they didn't have food. And what do you know? Joseph has all the food in Egypt. And so his brothers come to him, thinking he was dead. And what did Joseph do? Did he say, get out of here? Go die like you wanted me to die? That seems just. That seems right. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No, he welcomes them. He welcomes them. Eventually he reveals who he is, but he treats them to dinner. He eats with them. He hugs them. He weeps over them. And they were so shocked at this that they just kept thinking to themselves, when is he going to take his vengeance out? And Joseph responds in in Genesis 50, 19 through 21, that he says, while you meant that for evil, God meant it for good. And so he welcomes his brothers, despite the wrongs that they had done him. And I love how he still acknowledges that they did something wrong. Yeah, you did something wrong. You meant that for evil. That was, that was wrong of you. You shouldn't have done that. And you know what? Onesimus did steal from Philemon. And that will certainly change the dynamic of the relationship. But if we don't welcome each other after somebody has wronged somebody, how are we ever going to be reconciled? And so we read this in, in Philemon in verse 15 where it says, Perhaps, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better as a dear brother in Christ. Who knows what God is going to do with this? Perhaps once Miss ran away and that was God's intention of bringing him to himself. So now you have someone to walk with you instead of someone who now serves with you. I'd rather have a, par- a brother Someone who willingly and knowingly loves and wants to walk with me side by side. So who knows? Maybe that's the case. But we know that when we're just (laughs) walking with another one, if we haven't dealt with that bitterness in our heart, those feelings are going to keep coming back. 
And so there are two things that have to take place. And I, and I don't think that it's one than the other. I think both of these are kind of simultaneous at the same time. Because I don't think you can welcome somebody if you haven't forgiven the debt. And I don't think you can forgive someone if you don't welcome them. And so we, we go to Philemon 18 through 22, and we're going to see that Paul insists that he cancels the debt. So let's read that, starting in verse 18. It says, if he, if Onesimus has done you any wrong or owes you anything, which of course he does, Paul says, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Charles Stanley writes, Forgiveness always includes the cancellation of a debt. It always does. In my own language, I would have written that paragraph saying, real simply, Paul writes, Consider Onesimus forgiven. And if you need the money, I'll take care of it. But what do we know about Philemon? He's a wealthy man living in a wealthy city. He doesn't need the money. And so why in the world, Philemon, are you holding on to a debt that you don't need? Cancel that debt. Cancel that debt. And then I begin to think about my own life, right? Right? What is there um, that something could ever take away from me that Christ hasn't already given me in incredible abundance? Is it respect? Did someone steal my respect from me? Does not God respect us? He gave us a will that we could make decisions, and he allows us to make decisions. What incredible respect the God of the universe has. And if I have it from Christ, why do I insist on needing it from everybody here? Maybe it's love. They never loved me like they should have loved me. My dad never loved me like I should have loved me, someone might say. My mom never loved me. How come my son doesn't love me the way that a son should love me? Does not Christ love us? With a love so strong that nothing in this world can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. If that's true, why do we insist that we have that love from everybody else all the time? Why do we hold on to that debt? Is it time? Maybe they took your time away for some reason. Instead of dealing with what you wanted to deal with, now you have to work with this individual because they wronged you in some way or some fashion. And so you have to deal with this. But doesn't God give us time? Hasn't Jesus given us eternal life in him? We have all the time in the world. What if it's something more? What if it's energy, right? What if it's depleted all of our energy resources? Someone stole that from us. Does not God promise to give us peace and to give us everything we need to serve him in the way that he desires we do that? I think of the, one of the big ideas of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and it's that today is a day that we can be refreshed by God. Today we can rest in God. And so we're given that. If 
we go back to Ephesians 1.3, it says, we have everything we need. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's everything. And so why do we insist that everybody pay us back for everything that is owed us? If it is something that you need, somebody has taken something you can't live without, will not the church come beside you? Will not God, our Heavenly Father, give you what you need in the time that you need it? We have an incredibly good God. And so why do we demand something we don't need? There's been a lot of things that people have taken away from us in the last couple of months. I think everybody's been slandered on social media because everybody who has an opposing view as you is telling you how bad you are. And so we've been slighted, we've been wronged. Even our own brothers and sisters in Christ, the people you may even be sitting to right now, sitting next to right now, have probably wronged you in some way, shape, or form in the last couple of months. What are we going to do? We're going to forgive. We're going to welcome them. We're going to cancel that debt. They go, but, but the feeling is so strong. I know. I've been there. Man, for the last 10 weeks, I've been thinking about forgiveness and it's brought about a flood of times where I've held on and bitterness that's been in my own heart that I have to go through this process of forgiveness with. And so I kind of follow this guideline that Charles Stanley put out where he says the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that they do, in fact, owe you. Again, Joseph did that, didn't he? What you meant for evil. This did happen. I had this expectation. It wasn't met. But acknowledge that and say it out loud. Verbalize it. And then move to the next one, which is Christ has given me that. So if it is love, right? My neighbor hasn't loved me like I want my neighbor to love me. That is true. But Christ has loved me with an everlasting love, with an eternal love. And then we declare the last part. I cancel that debt. My neighbor no longer owes me. My brother no longer owes me. My family no longer owes me. What they stole, I am not holding against them. And you might have to go through that cycle three, four, five, six times. You have to memorize some verses to remind you of what Christ has given to you. Every time that bitterness begins to try to take root in your heart, you might have to go through that process just one more time. And that's okay. Christ calls us to forgive not seven times, but 77 times over and over and over again. As I was mentioning, when I was going through this, I, I had lots of thoughts, lots of memories. And one of them was uh, when I was a coach. I had this, this young man on my team, and we didn't have a large team. There were only eight of us, and seven were on varsity, and he ended up on, on junior varsity. But he was very similar to myself, so I kind of, you know, really enjoyed coaching him up. Well, one day we had a, a tennis match going on, and, and one of my varsity players forgot his jersey. Not yet. We'll get there. That's not him. Well, that would really date me. Um, but yeah, it, but he owed me. It, let me try, backtrack here. So this, one of my varsity members didn't have his uniform. And so I'm just like 100 feet away, 100 yards away, I'm just like, hey, give him your uniform. It's a normal thing a coach would do. you got to have the same uniform. It just makes sense. You're on JV. You aren't playing right now. The varsity player is. We're a family. So just give it to him. 
Well, the kid didn't take it easily. He thought a lot more of that uniform than I did. And his father felt a lot more about it than I did. And so after the match, lo and behold, I have an hour. It was probably closer to an hour and a half of just a, just a verbal beatdown. My character was in question. My judgment was in question. Obviously, I don't care about anybody or anything. And that hurts. That guy wronged me so much. And I loved his kid. I loved that kid. But he stole time. He stole respect. He stole trust that I thought I deserved by the way that I had treated him and been honest and open about him. And I held on to that bitterness for a long time, even in the sense that I would see the kid walk through the hallway, and I didn't have a beef with the kid, but all of that bitterness would start to resound again, and I'd start to feel it again. And so I had to work through this. And every single time afterwards where that bitterness started to come in, and I started to sense it again and feel it again, I had to go through this where, yes, he owed me more than what he gave me. But Christ has given me so much more of everything that I missed out on. And so I cancel that debt. He doesn't owe me anything anymore. And that's just like a, a little story, right? I think of big stories that are in the news of forgiveness. And I was reminded of 2007 where a gunman walked into an Amish schoolhouse and, and killed all of the students there, including the teacher. And the guy went to court, as he should. And all the parents came of those kids to the court. And when they had an opportunity to speak, they purposely made sure that the gentleman understood that they forgave him. That they were going to forgive the gunman who took the lives of all of their children. They canceled that debt. Then... They tried to welcome him, but they couldn't welcome him. He was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. They welcomed his mom, who was just devastated over this whole thing, and brought his mom into them, and they dined with him, and they showed love to this woman because they couldn't show that same love to her son who had murdered all of their kids. And I think to myself, how in the world can I do that? Because if you pay attention to the news and you have kids, you have thought, oh no, what if that's my kid in the last 20 or 30 years? I know you've had that thought. What if that's my grandchild? Could I forgive like they forgive? And when I go to God and I ask that question, I receive two answers. And the first one is, no, you can't forgive like that. <laughs> You're right, I can't forgive like that. But then I get a second answer. Yes. In Christ, you can forgive like that. Because in Christ, you have the spirit of me inside of you. And I can forgive like that. And how do I know that he's forgiven like that? Because he's forgiven me like that. And so in the union of Christ, in the power of Christ, I can forgive in incredible situations that I could not in any way, shape, or form do in my own flesh, in my own strength. And then I think of my friend Nishwan, who's, who you've seen. Nishwan. Nishwan is an awesome man. He lives in, in Lucas County in, in Toledo. But he hasn't lived there his whole life. He, he actually grew up in Iraq. 
He's been a, a Christian man uh, his entire life. There are lots of Christians in northern Iraq, or at least were a lot of Christians in northern Iraq. Lots of generations into his family. But he was living there as a Christian in Iraq, living in a town called Mosul. I don't know if you've heard of that town, but if you pay attention to geography and recent events, you'll, you'll pick up on the fact that that's the first place that ISIS came. That's where they set up camp, where he was. And he was an easy target. He's an Arab Christian. And so in the first few months that ISIS was taking over northern Iraq, they captured him in an attempt to extort all of his money. That's what they would do to get their funds. They'd kidnap somebody and say, if you don't give me everything you own, I'm going to kill them. But then most of the time they killed them anyway. And so now he's sitting, getting beaten on a chair, knowing that these people are trying to extort his family. And he's also getting severely beaten to the point where it wrenched his back. And he begins to pray for the guy who's beating him. And the guy who's beating him is like, dude, what are you doing? I'm sure he didn't say, dude, what are you doing? He's like, I'm praying for you that God would forgive you for what you're doing. And the guy beating him was just like taken back. <laughs> I can't keep beating you. You're praying that I would be forgiven. And so he goes to his superior and he's like, I'm beating this guy like I'm supposed to. And this is what he's praying. And his superior is like, I can't keep sending him to his death. I can't be responsible for that. So instead, they put a mask on him, took him out where he didn't even know, put him in the middle of a desert and hoped that something else would kill him. But they couldn't do it themselves. All because this man prayed that his captors would be forgiven. They go, how in the world can Nishwan do that? He's read scripture. He knows what Christ did as he stood on that cross, as he was hung from that cross. When Christ prayed that, Father, will you please forgive them? They know not what they do. And he knew that that same love was in his heart too. And so he was compelled to pray for the forgiveness of this man who was beating him to death. And again, I feel like I can't do that. But in Christ, we can do that. He has made it possible. And then I begin to think about, again, just the whole gospel story. And I don't think there's anything anybody could take from me that I haven't already taken from God. Because God deserves everything. He deserves our love, our honor, our respect. He deserves all the glory and we've given him none. And that's why it says, when all were sinners, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Even when we were doing nothing to earn back, we never even apologized. Christ decided that he was going to come and forgive us of our sins. He was going to cancel the debt and do everything in his power to do that. Even dying on a cross. So that he could welcome us into eternity with him. And so nobody can take away what I have taken away from God. And yet he is willing and desiring to forgive us over and over and over and over again. 
And so when someone pulls out in front of me, (laughs) do I remember what I took from Christ and he forgave me? That same power is in me, I can forgive him. And so we should. We should be the most forgiving people on this planet because we understand and know the truth of the gospel, that the God of the universe came down to the sinful people and forgave them because he loved us that much and wants to spend eternity with us. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you have shown us that we didn't deserve, we didn't apologize for. We can't even pay it back if we tried. There isn't enough time and eternity for us to pay back what we have taken from you. And yet you loved us that much. And that power is in our union with you that we also can be a forgiving people. And so I know each person in here at least once has thought about someone that they are now embittered to because they have taken something from them. And you are calling each of us, compelling us through the love of Christ to forgive them. Let us be strong and courageous in following out our union with you and not taking things into our flesh. So that when people come into this building, they feel welcomed. Not because we're perfect with one another, but because we are the most forgiving people on the planet because we have a Savior who is the most forgiving God in the universe. The only God of the universe. Be with us, Lord, as we go out into the world trying to be the church on display. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.